Hey Sids, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading Mini Sacrifice, written by Frances Harper in 1869. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, born in 1825, was one of the first black women to be published in the United States. She worked with William Still to help refugee slaves find freedom in Canada through the Underground Railroad and was an activist with the American Anti-Slavery Society. In 1894, she helped found the National Association of Colored Women and served as vice president. She died at age 85 in 1911. Many Sacrifice was originally published as a serialization of three novels in the Christian Recorder, a journal by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Many Sacrifice is the story of a woman living in the North whose identity and heritage is kept from her until she unexpectedly meets her birth mother, an escaped slave. She marries a man whose racial identity and heritage were also kept from him, and they move to the South to participate in uplifting and empowering members of their race. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Some of her former friends were beginning to eye her with coldness and suspicion because she would not join in their fanatical hatred of the North and because she would profess her devotion to the old flag while they were ready to spit upon and trample it underfoot. Her adopted brother was still in the North and strange to say, he did not share her feelings. His sympathies were with the South and although he was too young to take any leading part in the events there about to transpire, yet year after year, when he spent his vacations at home, he attended the hustlings and political meetings, and there he learned to consider the sentiment, my country right or wrong, as a proper maxim for political action. This difference in their sentiments did not produce the least estrangement between them, Only Camilla regretted to see Louise ready to raise his hand against the freedom of his mother's race, although he was perfectly unconscious of his connection with it, for the conflict which was then brewing between the North and South was in fact a struggle between despotism and idea, between freedom on one side and slavery on the other. Commencement over, what are you going to do with yourself? I don't know, loaf around I suppose. Why don't you go to Newport? Don't want to go. Got tired of it last year. Saratoga? A perfect bore. Niagara? Been there twice. A pedestrian tour to the White Mountains? Haven't got energy enough. What will you do? Stay at home and bite mosquitoes. Very pleasant employment. 
I don't envy you, but I can tell you something better than that. What is it? said his companion, yawning. Come, go home with me. Go home with you? Where is that, and what's the attraction? Well, let me see. It's situated in one of the most beautiful valleys of western Pennsylvania. Our village is environed by the most lovely hills and nestling among the trees with its simple churches and unpretending homes of quiet beauty and good taste. It is one of the most pleasant and picturesque places I ever saw. And besides, as you love to hunt and fish, we have one of the finest streams of trout and some of the most excellent game in the woods. Is that all? Why? Isn't that enough? You must be rather hard to please this morning. Think so? Yes, but I have not told you the crowning attraction. What is it? Oh, one of the most beautiful girls I ever saw. We call her the Lily of the Valley. Describe her. I can't. It would be like attempting to paint a sunbeam or doing what no painter has ever done, sketch a rainbow. You're very poetical this morning, but I want you to do as our president sometimes tells us, proceed from the abstract to the concrete. Well, let me begin. She has the most beautiful little feet. I never see her stepping along without thinking of Cinderella in the glass slipper. As to eyes, they're either dark brown or black, I don't know which, but I do know they are beautiful. And her hair, well, she generally wears that plain indifference to the wishes of her Quaker friends, but sometimes in the most beautiful ripples of golden brown I ever saw. That will do. Now, tell me who she is? You spoke of her Quaker friends. Is she not their daughter? No, there seems to be some mystery about her history. About 10 years ago, my father brought her to Josiah Carpenter's, but he's always been reticent about her. In fact, I never took the pains to inquire. She's a great favorite in the village, and everybody says she's as beautiful as she is good, and vice versa. Well, I'd like to see this paragon of yours. I believe I'll go. Well... Let us get ready. When do you start? Tomorrow. All right, I'll be on hand. And with these words, the two friends parted to meet again the next day at the railroad station. The first of the speakers is the son of Josiah Collins, and his friend is Louise LaCroix, Camilla's adopted brother. He's somewhat changed within the last 10 years. Time has touched the golden wealth of his curls with a beautiful deep auburn, and the rich full tones of his voice tell that departed is written upon his childhood. He is strongly Southern in his feelings, but having been educated in the North, whilst he is an enthusiast in defense of his section as he calls the South, he is neither coarse and brutal in his actions, nor fanatical in his devotion to slavery. He thinks the Negroes are doing well enough in slavery if the abolitionists would only let matters rest, and he feels a sense of honor in defending the South. 
She is his mother, he says, and that man is an ingrate who will not stand by his mother and defend her when she is in peril. He and Charles Collins are fast friends, but on the subject of slavery, they're entirely opposed. And so on that point, they have agreed to disagree. They often have animated and exciting discussions, but they pass and Josiah and Louise are just as friendly as they were before. There were two arrivals on the next evening in the quiet village of S. One was Charles Collins, the other of his southern friend, who was received with the warmest welcome and soon found himself at home in the pleasant society of his friend's family. The evening was enlivened with social chat and music until 10 o'clock when Josiah gathered his children and having read the Bible in a deeply impressive manner, breathed one of the most simple and fervent prayers he had ever heard. While they were bending at prayer in this pleasant home, a shabby looking man came walking slowly and wearily into the village. He gazed cautiously around and looked anxiously in the street as though he were looking for someone but did not like to trust his business to everyone. At length, he saw an elderly man dressed in plain clothes and a broad brim hat and drawing near, he spoke to him in a low and hesitating voice and asked if he knew a Mr. Thomas Carpenter. My name is Carpenter, said the friend. Come with me. There was something in the voice and the manner of the friend that assured the stranger. His whole manner changed. A peaceful expression stole over his dark, sad face and the drooping limbs seemed to be aroused by a new infusion of energy. Come in, said Thomas as he reached the door. Come in, these welcome to stop and rest with us. Anna, said Thomas, his face beaming with kindness, I brought thee a guest. He's another passenger by the Underground Railroad. I'm sure thee's welcome, said Anna, handing him a chair. Sit down, thee looks very tired. Where did thee come from? Moses, that was the fugitive's name, hesitated a moment. Oh, never fear, thee's among friends. Thee need not be afraid to tell all about thyself. Moses then told them that he had come from Kentucky. And how did thee escape? He said, I walked from Lexington to Covington. Why, that was almost 100 miles. And did thee walk all that way? Yes, sir, said he. I hid by day and walked by night. Did no one interrupt? Yes. One man said to me, where's your pass? I suppose I must have grown desperate for I raised my fists and said, them's my passes. And he let me alone. I don't know whether he was friendly or scared, but he let me alone. And how then? When I come to Covington, I found that I could not come across the river without a pass, but I watched my chance and hid myself on a boat and I got across. I'd heard of you down home. How did you? Oh, we's got some few friends there, but we always promise not to tell. Anna and Thomas smiled at his reticence, which had grown into a habit. Were you badly treated? Not so bad as some, 
but I always wanted my freedom. I did. Well, we will not talk about thee anymore. If thee walked all that distance, thee must be very tired and will let thee rest. There's thy bed. I hope they'll have a good night's rest and feel better in the morning. Thank you, Mer, said Moses. You's mighty good. Oh no, but I always like to do my duty by my fellow men. Now, be quiet and get a good night's sleep. He looks excited. He mustn't be uneasy. These among friends. A flood of emotions crept over the bosom of Moses when his kind friends left the room. Was this freedom? And was this the long wish for North? And were these the abolitionists of whom he had heard so much in the South? They who would allure the colored people from their homes in the South and then leave them to freeze and starve in the North? He had heard all his life that the slaveholders were the friends of the South, and the language of his soul had been, If these are my friends, save me from my foes. He had lived all his life among the white people of the South and had been owned by several masters, but he did not know that there was so much kindness among the white race till he arrested in a northern home and among northern people. Here, kindness encouraged his path, and in that peaceful home, every voice that fell upon his ear was full of tenderness and sympathy. True, there were rough, coarse, brutal men even in that village who for a few dollars or to prove their devotion to the South would have readily remanded him to his master, but he was not aware of that. And so, when he sank to his rest, a sense of peace and safety stole over him and his sleep was as calm and peaceful as the slumber of a child. The next morning, he looked refreshed but still his strength was wasted by his great physical exertion and mental excitement. And Thomas thought he had better rest a few days till he grew stronger and better prepared to travel. For Thomas noticed that he was nervous, starting at the sound of every noise and often turning his head to the door with an anxious, frightened look. Thomas would have gladly given him shelter and work and given him just wages but he dared not to do so. He was an American citizen, it is true, but at that time, slavery reigned over the North and ruled over the South, and he had not the power under the law of the land to give domicile and break his bread to that poor, hunted, and flying man. For even then, they were hunting in the South and sending out their human bloodhounds to search for him in the North. Throughout the length and breadth of the land, from the summit of the rainbow-crowned Niagara to the swollen waters of the Mexican Gulf, from the golden gates of sunrise to the gorgeous portals of departing day, there was not a hill so high, a forest so secluded, a glen so sequestered, nor mountain so steep that he knew he could not be tracked and hailed in the name of the general government. What's the news, friend Carpenter? Any new arrivals? Said Josiah Collins in a low voice to Thomas. Yes, a very interesting case. Can't you come over? Yes, after breakfast. By the way, you must be a little more cautious than usual. Charlie came home last night and brought a young friend with him from college. 
I think from his conversation that he's either a Southerner himself or in deep sympathy with the South. Both men spoke in low tones, for although they were Northerners, they were talking about a subject on which they were compelled to speak with bated breaths. After breakfast, Josiah came over, but Moses seemed so heavy and overweary that they did not care to disturb him. There was a look of dejection and intense sadness on the thin, worn face and a hungry look in the mournful eyes as if his soul had been starving for kindness and sympathy. Sometimes he would forget his situation and speak hopefully of the future, but still there was a weariness that he could not shake off, a languor that seemed to pervade every nerve and muscle. Thomas thought it was the natural reaction of the deep excitement through which he had just passed that the tension of his nerves had been too great, but that a few days rest and quiet would restore him to his normal condition, but that hope soon died away. The tension, excitement, and consequent exhaustion had been too much. Reason tottered on its throne, and he became a raving maniac. In his moments of delirium, he would imagine that he was escaping from slavery, that the pursuers were upon his back, that they had caught him and were rebinding him about to take him back to slavery. And then it was heart-rendering to hear him beg and plead to be carried to Thomas Carpenter's. He would reach out his emaciated hands and say, carry me to Mr. Carpenter's, that good man's house for that name which had become more precious to him than a household to his soul still lingered amid shattered cells. But the delirium spent its force and through the tempest of his bosom, the light of reason came back. One night, he slept more soundly than usual and on the next morning, his faithful friends saw from the expression of his countenance and the light in his eyes that his reason had returned. They sent for their family physician, a man in whose honor they could confide. All that careful nursing and medical skill could do was done, but it was in vain. His strength was wasted, the silver cord was loosed, and the golden bowl was broken. His life was fast ebbing away. Like a tempest-tossed mariner dying in sight of land, So he, passing away from earth, found the precious, longed-for, and dearly-bought prize was just before, but his hand was too feeble to grasp, his arms too powerless to hold it. His friends saw from the expression of his face that he had something to say, and they bent down to catch the last words of the departing spirit. I'm dying, he said but I'm thankful that I have come this near to freedom. He attempted to say no more. The death rattle sounded in his throat. The shadows that never deceived flitted over his face and he was dead. His spirit had gone back to God, another witness against the crime of the land. Josiah came again to see him and entered the room just as the released spirit winged its flight. Silently, he uncovered him as if paying that reverence to the broken casket which death exacts for its meanest subjects. With tenderness and respect, 
they prepared the body for the grave, followed him to the silent tomb, and left him to his dreamless sleep. Friend Carpenter, I have brought a friend to see you. He is a real hot-headed southerner, and I have been trying to convert him, but have been almost ready to give it up as a hopeless task. I thought as you are so much better posted than I am on the subject, you might be able to convert him from the error of his ways. He's a first-rate fellow, my college chum, but he has only one fault. He will defend slavery. Cure him of that, and I think he will be as near-perfect as young men generally are. Frank Carpenter smiled at this good-natured rally and said, It takes time for all things. Perhaps your friend is not so incorrigible as you think. I don't know, said Charlie, but here he is. He can speak for himself. Oh, the system is well enough of itself, but like other things, it is liable to abuse. I think, my young friend, said Thomas, he has never examined the system by the rule of impartial justice, which tells us to do to all men as we would have them do to us. If thee had, thee would not talk of the abuses of slavery when the system is an abuse itself. I am afraid thee has never gauged the depth of its wickedness. Thy face looks too honest and frank to defend the system from conviction. Has thee ever examined it? Why no, I have always been used to it. Louise, who liked the honest bluntness of the Quaker, would have willingly prolonged the conversation simply for the sake of argument. But just then, Minnie entered, holding in her hand a bunch of flowers, and started to show them to her father before she perceived that any company was in the room. Oh, father, said she, see what I have brought you? When her eye fell upon the visitors, a bright flush overspread her cheek, lending it additional beauty. Charles immediately arose, and giving her his hand, introduced her to his friend. I am glad to see you, Minnie. You're looking so well this summer, said Charles, gazing on her with unfeigned admiration. I'm glad you think so, said she with charming frankness. Some business having called Frank Carpenter from the room, the young people had a pleasant time to themselves, talking of books, poetry, and the current literature of the day. Although being students, their acquaintance with these things was somewhat limited. By the time they were ready to go, Thomas had re-entered the room and bidding them goodbye, cordially invited them to return again. What do you think of her? said Charles to his friend. Beautiful as a dream. The half had not been told. Her acquaintance pays me for my trip. Yes, I would like to become better acquainted with her. There was such a charming simplicity about her and such unaffected grace that I am really delighted with her. How is it that you have never fallen in love with her? Oh, I have left that for you. But in fact, we have almost grown together, played with each other when we were children until she appears like one of our family and to marry her would be like marrying my own sister. How does thee like Charles's friend? said Minnie to her adopted father. Thomas spoke slowly and deliberately and said, He impresses me rather favorably. I think there's the making of a man in him. 
but I hear that he is pro-slavery. Yes, he is, but I think that is simply the result of former associations and surroundings. I do not believe that he has looked deeper than the surface of slavery. He is quite young yet. His reflective faculties are hardly fully awakened. I believe the time will come when he will see it in its true light, and if he joins our ranks, he will be an important accession to our cause. I have great hopes of him. He seems to be generous, kind-hearted, and full of good impulses, and I believe there are grand possibilities in his nature. How do you like him? Oh, I was much pleased with him. We had a very pleasant time together. In a few days, Charles and Louise called again. Minnie was crocheting, and her adopted mother was occupied with sewing while Thomas engaged them in conversation, the subject being the impending conflict. Louise taking a decided stand in favor of the South, and Thomas being equally strong in his defense of the North. The conversation was very animated, but temperate, and when they parted, each felt confident of the rightfulness of his position. Come again, said Thomas as they were leaving. We can't see eye to eye, but I would like to have thee come. Louise was very much pleased with the invitation, for it gave him opportunity to see Minnie, and sometimes she would smile or say a word or two when the discussion was beginning to verge on the borders of excitement. The time to return to college was drawing near, and Louise longed to tell her how dear she was to him, but he never met her alone. She was so young, he did not like to ask the privilege of writing to her, and yet he felt when he left the village that it would afford him great satisfaction to hear from her. He once hinted to friend Carpenter that he would like to hear from his family and that if he was too busy, perhaps Miss Minnie might find time to drop a line, but Thomas did not take the hint, so the matter ended. He hoping in the meantime to meet her again and renew their very pleasant acquaintance. Are you still up? Girl, good night. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.